This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. All right, so today I'm talking with Angela Bueno, who became a mother in 2018, and she is now a sleep and well-being consultant and the owner of Nurture Eve Sleep Support, which offers sleep support to families that focuses on connection and validates instinct. So her mission is to educate new moms on what normal infant sleep is, empower them to listen to their intuition, and co-create a plan that works for the entire family which I love because I'm all about doing what works for your own specific family. So Angela, to start, I thought you could tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, and why you started Nurture Eve Sleep. Yes. So I'm Angela. I live in Pemberton, BC. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter, um, and I had her in September of 2018, um, and back then, I had no idea what babies are like. I didn't have <laughs> a lot of friends that had babies. I've just never, like, I was just not exposed to them. So I had um, very unrealistic expectations of what she was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was born, she spent the first month sleeping all day, all night. She just woke up to feed. And then after one month, um, that's where I felt like uh, hell let loose. <laughs> um, she just like didn't want to be in her crib anymore. And I did not know what was happening. Um, so then I started reading all of these baby sleep books, looking online for answers. And I it, it felt so frustrating. And I mm-hmm. felt anxious all the time. Um, I I felt like a failure, basically, because I didn't know her. Um, and so I tried a few sleep training methods, um, like the pick-up, put-down, um, controlled crying, and none of it worked. It just felt like I was fighting with her all the time, and my yeah. whole day revolved around her sleep. Um, and so, and it didn't feel good to me. Um, So then one day I just gave up because I was like, this is enough. I don't want to do this anymore. So I went to her room. She was, you know, she's been crying for 20 minutes now. I went in her room and I picked her up and I sang to her and rocked her to sleep. And it took five minutes. Yeah. And I 
put her down and she stayed asleep. <laughs> and I walked out of the room. Like I, I, I was like shaking. I'm like, what, what just happened? <laughs> I'm like, wait. So if I pick her up and put her to sleep in my arms, she'll sleep. Like, yeah. you know, and I was like, I was like, wait, that's, this is not what I've been told. Um, and it felt easy. Uh, we were both calm. And so that's when I was like, you know, there must be something about this because it cannot be a coincidence that my baby wanted to fall asleep in my arms and the babies around me, because now at this point, you know, I was like part of mom groups. They're all talking about how their baby won't sleep at the crib and they only wanted to fall asleep at the breast or in their arms. And so I'm like, if my baby does that and, and they're doing that too, then why are we being told that we're not supposed to do this? Yeah, I can totally relate to that feeling because when Milo was not like a little baby, because I know what you're saying when when you just bring them home, like they're sleeping all the time and you're like, oh, this is pretty decent, you know, and then they Mm -hmm. wake up, you feed them, they fall back asleep, like it's fine. But once it started to become like he was at the age where you know, he should be having scheduled naps and and then your life revolves around their sleep mm-hmm. and it's super, like you were saying, stressful. And by the time my husband got home from work some days, I was like, wow, like I've had the worst day ever because all I was doing was trying to fight him to sleep or get him to sleep or, you know, like he didn't want to be in his crib and it was so frustrating. So finally, after a while, there was a huge like stretch of time for a few months where I just like I just gave up and I was like I am just going to do whatever he needs me to do to sleep and that's it. I don't care if I have to go get a latte and drive around the city for 45 minutes. I don't care if I have to lay in my own bed with him for 45 minutes until he falls asleep. Like I was like so sick of fighting him napping and being frustrated all day so like I totally relate to that feeling for Mm -hmm. sure yeah and yeah I remember my partner would come home and and he just didn't understand what happened during my day because I was so frustrated and he's like why like just just like sit on the couch and hold her and I'm like no you can't do that the sleep book said this and this and this and I'm like yeah you know, and he just didn't understand it. Um, but yeah, so then when when that happened, I really wanted to learn more about this. So I looked online to see um, like who can who can teach me about this. And that's when I came across Lauren Heffernan. She created the baby led sleep approach. Um, okay. So I was taught by her. And um, the baby led sleep approach focuses a lot on the mom following her instincts and her baby's cues. Okay. Um, and we do not create a pre-created sleep plan. We really get to know the family as a whole and their well-being. We want to know what their specific goals are um, and create a plan around that that is age-appropriate and responsive. Right. I like that because for us – we let Milo, like we woke up with him two to four times a night until he was 11 months old. And I know a lot of people are, you know, waiting, like, when is it an appropriate time to sleep train? And I was just never comfortable with letting him cry. And like you said, it just didn't feel right. Like 
it just, I tried a couple times and I was like, there's no way. So my husband and I just one night we decided, okay, we're then we're not letting him cry. It doesn't work for us. So we just decided, okay, we're going to get up with him and that's all there is to it. And we were able to do that. Like I, you know, being in Canada, we have a maternity leave. So I was able to be home with him the next day. And when he would sleep during the day, I would just sleep. You know, I didn't have any other kids. So it's easy for me to say like I was able or we as a couple were able to get up with him. Um, Whereas, you know, some people might not like some people maybe need to sleep. So they're more stressed about doing uh, the sleep training. But I like how you guys kind of assess the family situation and what, you know, what would be best for them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because each family's goals are are different. Like one problem for another family may not be a problem for the next one. Yes, I love that. So, okay, so one of the things when we worked on our little outline for this episode, one of the things that you mentioned was that a lot of clients that you talk to, their goal is to have their baby sleep independently. So I just thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Like what what does that actually mean? And, you know, like do babies actually want to sleep by themselves? And you also mentioned, you know, you want your child to have the desire to be de- independent as opposed to just acting independent. Yes. Yes, I love talking about this because, yes, right now in the modern Western world that we live in, we are so obsessed with getting our children to be independent. Um, And while, you know, that's a well-meaning approach to parenting, I think the problem when it comes to focusing way too much on just the independence alone is that we forget the role of nature and development. And children are not tiny adults. Children are children. So we should not be expecting them to do something that they're not capable to do. Right. Um, Yeah. And so I think um, if we want to raise our children in the best possible way, we should be more focusing on the fact that um, not the acting that they're independent, but to have the desire to do things on their own. Um, So like, as you, you have a toddler, I have a toddler too. Like now they're starting to be like, no, me do, <laughs> yes. me do, you know? And that's because like for, let's say putting shoes on as an example, like their whole lives we've been putting on their shoes. Eventually they're going to be like, no, I want to do it. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's what you want from them. That's their emergent self coming out. And so when it comes to sleep, um, if we, if we force our children to sleep on their own, then they will know that that is the expectation from them. Right. But it's not their desire to fall asleep on their own. And when we wait for them to be able to do that, um, then it's, it's less stress for them. It's less stress for us. And they're growing. They, they, it is from deep dependence that they can grow to become independent adults. Right. It's, almost, it's like a smoother transition. Like if you just let it kind of happen at its natural time. Like I, I remember being younger and you hear about parents that would sleep with their kids 
And at first, like before I had a kid, I was like, oh my God, like that's, that's crazy, you know? But like, they're not going to be 18 years old sleeping with their parents still. Like maybe like, it's just a short term thing. And now that I have a child of my own, I like, he's not a good co-sleeper at all, but I'm always like, oh, like I wish he would sleep with me (laughs) sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I can see how once you have a child like that, the view changes. And it's also like that's that's our view in, you know, North American culture. And it's not the same around the world. No, no, it's not. And yeah, like I'll get I'll get clients that'll say, um, yeah, we're bed sharing right now. And then, you know, the dad will be like, well, is that okay? Because I don't want them to go to kindergarten and they're still still sleeping with us. Mm-hmm. And and I get that. I get that fear of like, oh, well, they, maybe they'll just never grow up. But again, we're not um, thinking about the development part. Like they will grow up. Yeah. They will. And then and then they will want to have their own room. They will have want to sleep on their own. Um, but yeah, I grew up in the Philippines. I, I was there until I was 15. And now um, I remember going back there a couple of years ago. And I had, oh, wait, no, that was last year. I had my baby with me. And my nanny, when I was growing up, she was, she came to visit us. And she put my daughter to sleep. And I'm like, yeah, you just put her in her crib. And then you walk away. And then she'll fall asleep. And then um, she's like, what? (laughs) Why? Why would you do that? And she (laughs) went home to tell her husband. And she's like, I can't believe she would do that to her daughter. So what does she do? Um, so parents over there in, um, at least I know in Southeast Asia, um, bed share with their kids until they're, until they're ready to, um, move to their own room. I love it. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein. I'm looking at sugar content and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too, because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. 
It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. And that is where Little Spoon comes in. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Little Spoon offers baby blends, biteables, and plates. So baby blends is fresh, organic baby food. They have single ingredients, but also multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. Biteables make the transition to finger foods easy because they are cut perfectly to size, which promotes self-feeding. And of course, all the biteables are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. And then there are plates for your toddlers and your bigger kids. They are meals that are free of all the bad stuff. They taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. They have things like hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous things like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. Little Spoon also has smoothies and build-it-yourself lunches. Did I mention it all comes right to your door? It is super flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. You can pick up the menu and change up what you order every single time. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You and your kids will love it. It's a huge win-win for your family. Simplify your kid's mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. And this is such a good conversation to have. We were talking a little bit before I pressed record just about how there's two viewpoints. And for some reason in North America, every topic that surrounds you know, having a baby is very like black and white and people almost like instead of just like, oh, this family's different, like they're choosing to go about sleep in this way, like that's great. It's working for them. People are so judgmental. And we were talking about how, you know, in in North America, it's almost expected that you're sleep training your child as soon as possible. And the goal is always to get your child to sleep through the night. And it's like, oh, whose baby is going to sleep through the night first? Mm. And it's not it's not that way everywhere. And and I, I'm happy that hopefully a lot of people will listen to this episode. And, you know, if you are co-sleeping with your child, if you rock them to sleep, you know, for, you know, they're five months old and you're still rocking them to sleep or whatever it is, like, that's okay. And I like how you said, like, don't let other people decide what's a problem for your family. Like, if it's working for your family, then that's great. So this is a good conversation to have. Um, The next thing I wanted to talk about, which I love this topic, is the self-soothing. So again, in North America, we hear a lot about, you know, your baby needs to learn how to self-soothe. So I, just because of my background and attachment, I don't like this and I don't think, you know, Milo right now is 25 months old and he still can't self-soothe. Like when he throws a tantrum, I'm like, I almost feel bad. Instead of getting frustrated, I'll, I'll feel bad because I'm like, oh, he doesn't know how to regulate his emotions. You know, like this mm-hmm. doesn't happen for a long time for people. Some adults can't regulate their emotions. Like, yeah. So... You know, when you have a baby and people say self-soothe, 
that's not really a thing. And I I agree with this viewpoint. Again, people are going to debate and argue over this, but what what's your take on like the self-soothing thing when it comes to to falling asleep? Yes, yeah, so um I'm going to admit that I'm turning 31 this week and it's only and since very recently that I learned how to regulate my emotions. <laughs> there you go. You know, like I, I would have a fight with my partner and I'm just like sitting in this, like, <laughs> you know, like I, and then, and now I am just learning that there are tools that I can have to regulate my emotions. And so, yeah. So teaching a baby to self-soothe is not a thing. Um, because to be able to soothe yourself you must be able to regulate your emotions and the part of the brain that regulates emotions is the prefrontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex is highly underdeveloped in babies in fact it's not even fully developed until you're in your mid-20s yeah so to expect a baby to soothe themselves is unrealistic Um, now all babies are different and their temperaments and personalities are different and there are definitely going to be easygoing babies that can put themselves to sleep yes but that's just who they are you can't teach that to other babies yes exactly I love that point for sure Milo was a pretty easygoing baby but I know people who you know no matter what they did their like what their baby is crying all the time seems to be upset all the time and it's it's what you said it's just like that's how that baby is and it's not like bad it's not you know that's just how they are like adults are different and so are babies yeah and another thing is that um for babies to calm down from a heightened state of stress they can only calm down with the help of a parent right, or another primary caregiver um, or an adult who has a full brain. And so when a baby is crying at night or, or, or in the day or you have a toddler that's um, having a tantrum, the only way for them to downregulate from there is if you as a mom or, or dad um, – shows them how to calm down or how to like they need to co-regulate with you they can't do it on their own that's when milo throws a tantrum like we had a major one this morning because i was trying to put on his sweater (laughs) Um, of course (laughs) exactly like oh like what was i thinking but i i always try and stay so calm because in my mind i'm like if i get worked up then he is just going to go even harder and longer. So it's it's like it's almost comical if you think about it. Like they are losing their minds over something so basic, but you just like <laughs> stay super calm and like wait it out and eventually like yeah. you said they it's like a co-regulation thing and then they calm down. And it's like it never happened all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, and the beautiful thing about that is that when they see the people that are taking care of them act this way, um, eventually when they grow up and they have the capacity to regulate their own emotions, they'll know how to do it. 
because their parents have shown them how to do it over and over again. Yeah, I just saw a TikTok the other day and it was so good. And it it was a guy um, saying how children, like when an adult is all over the place, like emotionally, children like don't find comfort in that because it's unpredictable. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like, you know, if like they want to be surrounded by an adult that is predictable, like, oh, if I get upset, I know that my mom or my dad or whoever is going to be calm and I can predict what their reaction is going to be to my behavior, which is Mm -hmm. it's crazy when you think like it's such an adult, you know, thing to think about. But when you apply it to to children, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just wanted to point out because I remembered this morning you said that you um, had a meltdown because of a sweater. Yes. (laughs) This morning we had a meltdown because Google Home started talking. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. Uh, So I dropped her off at daycare and I'm like, just so you know, she might be talking about Google for the next 30 minutes. (laughs) Oh, no. I know. It's so it's Um, like sometimes toddlers when they're in that age where they could just go off over the stupidest thing. You're like walking on (laughs) eggshells like constantly. You're like, oh, please. Oh, please. Don't let this like upset him. It's so funny because like they're just like these little little people, but they're so like scary sometimes. Yeah, but I love that we can laugh about it now. But earlier, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> no, exactly. I was like, should I cry? Like, I don't know what to do. Um, the, the thing about the self-soothing that I always thought about, which again, this might be an unpopular opinion. And before I say this, I will say that we eventually, when Milo was 11 months old, let him cry. So you know, we did the cry it out for a few nights and he's been sleeping fine ever since. So I will preface this. But when people say, you know, they leave their baby to cry and now it's like, oh, look, they learned how to self-soothe. It's like in my mind, I'm, I always wonder, did they learn how to self-soothe or did they just learn that you're not going to come when they cry? And And which is so sad if you think about it because they're still having that um, negative emotional reaction or they're still you know upset in the crib if they wake up in the middle of the night let's say but they just don't cry because they know that that doesn't get them the response that they want which like that that's how I looked at you know letting Milo cry and eventually we got to a point where we were like okay like it doesn't work for us anymore. So we did it, but I can see both sides. And like, is that how you feel about letting them cry? Mm, yeah. So you pointed out earlier that um, they, they, the babies just think that nobody's going to come for them. Yeah. So that is what happens. Right. Okay. Um, so there are six arousal states of a baby. So first one is being asleep, drowsy, hypo-aroused, alert, hyper-aroused, and flooded. So when you leave a baby on their own, in their own room, and it's dark, it's scary for them. Um, They don't understand what's happening because they don't have a concept of time and place. They don't know where you went. Um, So then they start crying. 
when they start crying, they get into the hyper-aroused or flooded state. And like I said earlier, the only way for them to down-regulate is with the help of a parent. Mm -hmm. When the parent's not there and they're in the hyper-aroused or flooded state, they're burning a lot of energy. Yeah. And so when they're burning a lot of energy, they might fall asleep. And that is not because they learned how to sleep on their own. It's because it's their brain's defense mechanism to tell them that, hey, you're, this is enough. This yeah. is, you're done. Like you can't go any further because you're burning a lot of energy. And that's when they fall asleep. Yeah. And I will say there's really like, because obviously people debate this all the time and people build their whole careers on sleep training and you know, it's a huge topic uh, in the mom and baby and parents like community, obviously. But I will say there is a lack of research on all of these topics. And like there is research that shows that, you know, the baby in sleep labs and whatever, which again, it's like how accurate can the data be when they're completely out of their home and they're in a sleep lab and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But anyways, there's very few studies and some have shown that the baby, you know, they still are waking overnight and they still have that like elevated stress yes. hormone. Yes. Um, but then, yeah, they fall back asleep without crying. But again, like like we're saying, it's not that they have learned all of a sudden to self-soothe at friggin, you know, three months old. It's just they don't they learn that crying is not gonna work and not gonna bring the parent into the room so so yeah like all this stuff like it's very you know people are on one side or the other and you know I did this and it Mm -hmm. worked great for us and it's like yeah we're not saying it doesn't work like it does work if you Mm -hmm. if your goal is to get your child to sleep nobody is saying that it doesn't work um and again like some families have like they don't have a choice like the parents need to sleep in order to function the next day and be able to keep the family fed and running smoothly and like I'm not you know disagreeing with that but there are like two sides to look at it and I am happy to share both sides so yeah there is limited research but there is some research that supports that the baby is still getting upset but just not crying Yeah, exactly. Because there are many reasons why a baby will wake up in the middle of the night. It's not just for hunger. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, going back to development, like there are a few uh, stages of sleep progression. So the first one is four months, um, and then eight to 10 months, and then more and more. And that's normal, because of development. And when you know, when they reach a milestone, Uh, They'll wake up in the middle of the night as well, and that's normal. But the only difference is that if they have previously been crying for a long period of time, um, they'll still wake up, but they're just not going to signal to the parent that I'm up. Right. I need your help. Right. So what – I'm just curious what your your sleep – like how did that go with your daughter? Yeah, so um, from, yeah, when I when I came across Lauren Heffernan and learned all about normal infant sleep and attachment from her, I basically just stopped giving a shit yes. <laughs> about, about what other people thought. Um, and 
uh, that was a bit hard because I was still constantly surrounded by other moms. And, you know, I still had like this kind of mom guilt feeling that, oh, maybe I should be doing something else. But I tried to tune that tune that out. And the more that I focused on who my daughter is, what she needed, I got to know her better and sleep just came so much easier. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, of course, she still woke up in the middle of the night. Um, and sometimes you would bed share because that's easier for me and easier for her. Yeah. Um, and then eventually she didn't need me anymore. She started um, sleeping through the night at 11 months. Um, she stopped needing me for sleep when she was 15 months. Um, but I do want to say that she's two now and most of the time she sleeps through the night most of the time she doesn't need me to fall asleep but when there are you know emotional days or transitions um or she's sick or whatever she still needs me and I don't care if I have to help her again yeah because that doesn't mean that I'm creating a bad sleep habit. It just means that she, as you said earlier, like, um, you know, having a predictability of how you respond, she knows that if she asks for my help, that I'm there. Yeah. And then next time, if she doesn't need me, then that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're the same way. And I think, you know, after, because we didn't let Milo cry until he was 11 months old, we really understand when he's actually upset versus when he's just like half asleep, half awake and making weird sounds. And so we can just kind of let that go and we wait, you know, five, 10 minutes and usually he just falls right back asleep versus there's times when he is awake and I know that he wants one of us. So we're better able to kind of gauge what the situation is and if we should go in, if we should get him. And I will say like some nights I don't sleep well either, but I'm an adult and I can understand what's going on and I can, you know, lay in bed, like, you know, check my phone or whatever it is, get up, go pee, like drink some water. You know what I mean? Like, and so yes. how how can we expect, you know, these little babies or toddlers or little kids to just like, no, you have to sleep like 12 hours every single night and never wake up. And it's like if they do wake up and they're having trouble falling back asleep, of course, they're going to want, you know, their mom or their dad or their parent, caregiver, whatever, um, to, to help them fall back asleep. Like it, it makes sense to me. And I think sometimes we we expect our children to be like robots. It's like, well, we did the sleep training when you were six months old and now you should be sleeping through the night. And as soon as you like deviate from, you know, sleeping a solid 12 hours, like, well, that's too bad, you know, and like, but they're not robots. They're just, they're just humans too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this, I'm sure a lot of moms have heard before, like, don't give them a sleep association because then, you know, they'll get, they'll get way too attached to it. And like, I have a sleep association and I'm an adult. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's okay. And like you said, you can comfort your yourself to sleep because you're an adult. You can go get yourself a glass of water. Why can't my daughter have a bottle of milk yeah. in the middle of the night? Yeah. 
I know I sleep and with so a, I gave her everything. <laughs> yeah, I we sleep with sound machines. Like I am obsessed with sound machines and I will not sleep anywhere. Like if we're in a hotel, if we, you know, go visit family somewhere, like my sound machine is coming because I love it. And yeah, I'm an adult, so yeah, yeah. he has <laughs> he still has his his pacifiers and his sound machine. Um now he sleeps with his little his Woody and Buzz Lightyear dolls. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, he loves That's them. That's a lot of friends. Oh yeah, his crib is, uh, it's like party central. <laughs> but you know, he, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm, I hope people listen to this and they're like, oh, okay. Like, because like you said, when you decided, you know what, I'm not gonna give a shit about what other people say I should be doing. I'm just gonna do what feels right. I think there's so much pressure on parents to have their kids sleep through the night and they look at their child waking at night as a problem or like as like there must be something wrong and they shouldn't be doing that. But I think it's important for people to know that like, no, it's okay. And, you know, we all wake up at night sometimes and we all have bad nights and it's okay. So do what you want to do to help the situation and whatever makes makes your family happy and don't worry about mm-hmm. other people oh my god that's like my number one thing like don't worry yeah. what other people are saying it's not if it's not a problem for you then it's not a problem yeah yeah i always tell my clients to not take sleep advice from people that are not there at three o'clock in the morning to yes. help them yes oh yes um, so next I thought we could talk about attachment a little bit. Um, so how do you incorporate, like when you're working with clients, how do you, do you teach them about attachment or how do you incorporate it into your programs or your, um, consultations? Mm, um, I don't necessarily teach them about the theories, but I just, um, when we create a plan, I kind of incorporate them. Okay. Um, one of them would be uh, the stages of attachment. So um, in the first year of life, um, babies attach through proximity. So that's why they always want to be around us, near us. And if they can't see us, they must be able to um, smell us, uh, hear us, or are those all the senses? (laughs) (laughs) Hear, smell, touch. I'm just like, wait, what? Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I offer them um, strategies like taking the crib sheet and sleeping on them for a night so that um, the baby can smell them because when they wake up in the middle of the night and they can smell that mom is there, then it's more comforting for them. Yeah, that's a good tip. Ah, and another thing that I was thinking about is... Um, you know, if mom con- um, regularly sings a lullaby to them, then they can record it and have it playing in the room instead of a white noise machine or another type of machine so that they can hear mom's voice. Just those things make babies a lot more, feel a lot more comfortable to know that they're just here, they're around. Right. Um, yeah. And then another one um, is that attachment is hierarchical. Um, meaning that they're in an attachment relationship, there is a caregiver and a dependent, right. at least in the family yep. relationship. 
Um, and so the parent always needs to be the caregiver and the the child needs to be in the dependent role. Right. It should never be the opposite. Um, and babies start to take credit for things that happened around the age of nine months. So prior to nine months, when a baby cries, you meet their needs, right? So they cry and then you feed them or change the diaper or whatever. Yeah. But then at nine months, they're old enough and you, you kind of know them enough that you now start anticipating their needs. Mm. You don't now, you don't need to wait anymore for them to be hungry before you feed them. You feed them before they're hungry. Right. And when, if you're still kind of following their cues and waiting for them to tell you what needs to happen, then the child assumes the caregiver role and then now you're becoming the dependent. Um, so usually when this happens, um, parents will see like bedtime battles. Um, so like, you know, a toddler would be like, oh, I want to read 500 books. <laughs> Or I want to go to the bathroom three times and I want to have a snack. And, you know, so it's like they're running the show and you're just following and you're getting frustrated. Why don't you want to go to sleep? Um, so when that happens, if you do a lot of education around um, setting boundaries. So I want to make sure that mom is actually comfortable with setting boundaries during the day. Because when children are not, aware, you know, they're not used to, um, hearing no, they're not going to, they're not going to be okay with it at nighttime. Right. And then it might be, it might be something where during the day, you know, as a parent, you just kind of let it slide and you don't, um, set the boundary and like, you know, enforce it or like act on it. And then at bedtime, you're like, well, crap, like now, you know, they are expecting what happened during the day to happen at nighttime, but you're like, I want you to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And um, but like when you have a toddler, there's not a lot you can do because now they can walk and they can walk out of the, the room. Uh, a lot of them can talk at two and be like, mommy, come back. Right. And yeah, at this point, like it's really hard for for parents to just walk away and not do anything about it. And so they end up like bedtime takes an hour or two sometimes. Um, yeah. So we do. Um, a lot of yeah practicing how to set boundaries during the day so that they can be in the lead because that's what parents need to be they need to be in the lead I love that Milo it's hilarious at at bedtime like when it's starting to you know like I'm gonna put them down soon or my we do it together my, me and my husband we'll be like we hang out on our bed before we put him in his crib and I'll say okay, are you going to grab Woody and Buzz? Are you going to go sleep with Woody and Buzz? And he shakes his head no. <laughs> but then, like, he never, and I'm surprised, and I'm going to knock on wood right now, he never puts up a fight. Like, he just, he'll shake his head no, and then, like, you know, 30 seconds later, we'll be like, okay, grab Woody and Buzz. We're going to go to sleep. And then he just, like, waves goodbye to me and goes Aww. to bed. But I'm, like, I'm waiting for, like, this battle to, <laughs> to ensue. <laughs> but so far, so good. Yeah, hopefully I'm crossing my fingers for you. But um, oh, seriously, I mean, if you're if you're pretty comfortable with uh, the way you parent during the day, he can sense that, and he knows that you are, you know what's best for him, and so you're in the lead. It's not to yeah, mean like you're bossy or anything, but it's just like right. I know what's best for you. I'm your mom. <laughs> 
Yeah, I hope that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about um, what normal infant sleep looks like versus not normal. Because I know you had mentioned uh, that there was sometimes there's an underlying issue that could be causing babies to wake up, you know, more than what is considered normal. Um, so I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So there's a huge range of normal. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to give a number because even toddlers, uh, it's still normal for them to wake at night. Yeah. Um, but one thing to note is that if your baby has never given you a two or three hour stretch at night, ever, they're waking hourly, that is not normal. Yeah. And that's when I would encourage parents to take a, you know, go to their family doctor or um, do some investigations and see what's going on there. And some of the most common things that I see with families is uh, tongue tie. So undiagnosed tongue tie. Um, Obviously, if you have, if your baby has a tongue tie, then you'll have feeding issues. And then um, baby will baby's not getting the calories or the nutrition that they need Mm. and which will then um, lead them to waking up more at night Um, and also if you have a tongue tie you have a hard time breathing Um, so if you have a hard time breathing you can't sleep deeply Um, so that's the biggest one Um, yeah I'm so passionate about telling parents about this go see a lactation consultant if you have had uh, feeding problems before and you you know it's kind of gone ignored or your family doctor didn't really take it seriously go see a lactation consultant mm-hmm. um, and have that assessed or a pediatric dentist oh yeah um, that and food sensitivities are a big one as well um, sensory processing disorders those things. Yeah, definitely take a look at those things and and con- and consult a specialist. Yeah. Because often um I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> because when when families like my the families that I support, you know, they'll go to their family doctors and they're not supported. They are um they're just told, "Oh yeah, well, you know, Go go give him a form. Go give him bottle formula. Like mm-hmm. that's not the solution. Yeah, that's not the solution because even if you give your baby formula, and they have a tongue tie and they can't breathe properly, how is that going to help? Yeah. Um. So go see a specialist. No, it's <laughs> and you know this is that that like what you just said can be applied to a ton of things. Um. Because you know, family doctors are general physicians. Like my husband is a specialist, but. Like I have friends that are general, general or family doctors and like they see everything under the sun. So you can't expect them to be, you know, like obviously they're going to catch a lot of things and they're going to send people for the appropriate tests or to like they're going to refer out to a specialist in whatever area. Um, But like you have to kind of 
advocate for yourself as well and understand like like go seek out someone that specializes in whatever you're having an issue for so like even for moms after birth you know like seeing a pelvic floor physio seeing a chiropractor that that deals with women in postpartum like it's not once you get like the okay from an OBGYN or your family doctor, like there's more going on. So it's, I totally agree. Like see a specialist. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, if you see, you know, if you end up seeing a family doctor and they're like, oh yeah, you know, that's okay. Go and sleep train or go and get a bottle of formula. Most parents have the gut feeling most parents know that yeah. this is not normal and there's something wrong so like you said advocate for your baby advocate for yourself um yeah it's it's so important i cannot stress that enough yeah the last thing i wanted you to touch on was something that you do when you work with families and i loved this part of when i was reading through your website was validating mom's instincts which is kind of what we just touched on but I love how you kind of approach it with you know like what what is making your like your baby happy you happy um like what works for your family so um I know you're like um okay with you know nursing the baby to sleep and you were saying a lot of the times you have clients that are almost afraid to always nurse their baby to sleep because, you know, we're always told that you're creating a bad habit. And um, so I thought you could just talk a little bit about validating the mother's instincts and, you know, allowing families to kind of do what works for them. Yeah, so I think as um, sleep coaches, we we can know everything about what is there to know about sleep, about babies and nutrition and all of that. But at the end of the day, nobody knows the baby better than the mom. And so every, so I cannot ask a mom to do something that she doesn't feel good about. Yeah. Um, because if, if I do that, she will not follow through. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, if a mom does something that she doesn't feel good about, uh, the baby can sense that. Yes. And they, and so if the mom feels good about nursing to sleep, sweet, let's do that. Yeah. Let's keep doing it as long as it works. Um, and why would it not be okay to nurse a baby to sleep when mom is enjoying it and baby is enjoying yeah. it? That's not a bad sleep association. But if a mom is doing something that she doesn't enjoy doing and she feels anxious about it and baby can feel that mom is anxious about this, so now he's not falling asleep, that's a bad sleep association. Yes. <laughs> because we don't want baby to feel the, the stress in the room where he falls asleep. So yes, I'm all about validating mom's instincts because whenever I talk to them, um, it's just, it's, it's like, I give all of this education to them and they're just agreeing to it because they know in their guts that this is what they're supposed to do all along. It's just like, it's, it's basically just telling mom to stop listening to everyone else yes. because 
um, you know, if she's okay with nursing to sleep and her neighbor is not okay with it, that doesn't mean that she's not supposed to do that. Exactly. <laughs> do you know how many messages I get on Instagram from moms who like I'll, you know, it could be something stupid like a TikTok or something that I'm just talking about on my stories and they will tell me their story about how they just like suffered through whatever it was because that's what they thought they should be doing and they felt guilty if they didn't do it and and um they're like I wish, you know, like I would have heard you say this before or you know, like finally someone's validating like how I feel because like you said, it's almost like they feel pressure like to do something that they're not happy about doing. And look at us, like for months, I never had Milo nap in his crib, like hardly ever, because it was a freaking fight and I was miserable. I didn't want to do it anymore. So he napped in the car. He napped in the stroller while I was shopping. He napped in bed with me while I just laid there and, you know, and and he's fine. He didn't de- develop any kind of bad habits. He sleeps perfectly fine, like at daycare, at home, like he's great. So yeah. I could have spent those like two or three months absolutely miserable or I decided, you know what? I'm going to take him swimming some days in the morning because it exhausts him. And then he's going to sleep in the car on the way home. And I'm going to get a latte and like go look at houses and enjoy my life. And I'm going to and and, like I'm so much happier for it. And that like making those decisions has kind of like stayed with me. And that's how I do everything now. It's like what is going to make us happy, like Milo happy, me Mm -hmm. happy, my husband happy. And other people might not agree with it. And that's fine. But like at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, if moms are confident and they're able to just do what works for them, it's so much easier to be a parent (laughs) yeah what was it um was it carl young he had this quote that says uh the biggest burden you can put on your child is the unlived life of a parent Mm. or something like that and i always think about that whenever i make a decision um about my child because like you know we recently got into a new daycare and I the first few days were hard um, and I started thinking well maybe I should just pull her out and and I'm like no I I don't want to pull her out because I have stuff that I want to do yeah. I want to sit on the couch on my own yes <laughs> and like I you know I need to clean the house and I want to work on my business because that makes me happy yeah. and that's okay mm. um and sorry, I, I just wanted to add as well, like this also like validating mom's instinct instincts, it can be applied to the opposite side as well of, uh, okay, I don't want a nurse to sleep anymore. Right. That's okay. That's okay as well. Yeah. I just want to say that for, um, if there's anyone listening, that's like, well, but I don't enjoy doing totally. that anymore. And I, yeah, I just want to say that's okay. You don't have to do that. Let's, you know, let's find another way to put your baby to exactly. sleep. Exactly. Totally. It's it's about the mom as well. And I think 
we are so focused like when a when a woman is pregnant it's like all about them and we're so focused on the pregnancy and then once the baby comes out it's like nobody gives a shit about the mom anymore and like what the what makes the mom happy doesn't matter anymore it's like no this is for baby this is the best for baby but no what's best for the baby is the mom and the baby and you know parents like the family being happy and functioning properly and if the mom is not functioning is not happy is miserable then it's not going to work and I totally agree with you so to end I thought you could tell everyone where they can find you I'm going to put all your information in the episode notes um but yeah a little like your website and your Instagram handle and anything else um that you want people to know about yeah so I my website is www.nurtureevesleep, so nurture, N-U-R-T-U-R-E, eve, E-V-E, sleep.com. I offer a free 30-minute discovery call um, for any parents that are wondering if we would be a good match. Um, and I have Facebook and Instagram at Nurture Eve Sleep. And yeah, you can find me mostly on Instagram. I'm in my stories there every day. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. I love this conversation. I'm happy to, you know, have both sides of the sleep world. (laughs) Um, So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was so fun. 